welcome to the AK-47 podcast. My name is Kristen Godsey, and I am a professor of Russian and East European Studies at the University of Pennsylvania and the author of a couple of books, uh, probably most notably Why Women Have Better Sex Under Socialism and Other Arguments for Economic Independence, as well as my newest book, Everyday Utopia, What 2,000 Years of Bold Experiments Can Teach Us About the Good Life, that is just about to come out in Spanish with Capitan Swing Libros, based in Madrid, and that will be out, I believe, on March 4th. I'm also very excited. I'm going through the page proofs for the paperback version of the book, which will be out this summer with a new preface and hopefully a reading group guide as well. So lots of lots of things going on in addition to the semester and the fact that I'm teaching two classes. So it's not always easy to find time to get to the podcast, but I am really excited today because I found this really fun article from the Washington Post. It is dated May 15th, 1927, and it's called Diplomat Novelist Leader, Versatile Madame Kolontai. So this is a profile of Kolontai from the time that she was serving in Mexico as the ambassador from the Soviet Union. And I think that Western audiences were really rather fascinated by her. And so this is a a wonderful article. It is, I will say, you know, a, a piece of its time. So some of the language is archaic and it's also, you know, a little sexist and racist and problematic in lots of different ways, but it is from 1927. And so it's important to remember that that's how people wrote in those newspapers in 1927. But it is a fun piece because I think it's a pretty good profile of her. And it gives you a little bit of a sense of how far out of the mainstream Kalantai appeared for people in the United States. And I also think it's it's just an interesting way of remembering how far women have sort of come since 1927. I mean, this is almost 100 years ago. And the, the, the very patronizing attitude of this piece and the sort of way that they talk about this woman who is quite accomplished is just so telling of the kind of sexism that was so rampant in the United States at that time. I mean, it was rampant really, quite frankly, everywhere, including in the Soviet Union. But at least the Soviets had this Red Valkyrie, the name of another one of my books. Uh, She was often referred to as a Red Valkyrie, uh, standing up there and really showing the world that women could be quite competent as leaders. So this is from 1927, the Washington Post. It is called Diplomat, Novelist, Leader, the Versatile, Madame Kolontai. It wasn't so long ago that cartoonists in words delighted to picture the unusually intelligent and versatile woman of affairs as likely to be strident and mannish and morally certain to be dowdy and lacking in womanly charm. 
But that was before the day of Madame Alexandra Kollontai, the amazing lady who now represents the government of Russia in Mexico City. This fair agent of the Soviet, who is essayist, novelist, linguist, diplomat, and social reformer, and successful in each capacity, is surprising the good people of the Mexican capital by demonstrating that an intellectual superwoman needn't necessarily act like a traffic cop or look like something out of a sad dream. <laughs> so brutal. Uh, so obviously, if a woman is intelligent in the 20s, she's she's got to be ugly, and she's got to be mannish, and she has to be dowdy and unpleasant. So Kollontai is proving this all wrong. As a matter of fact, advices from the South state that she is rated one of the best-dressed women in the city and is enjoying a series of social triumphs by reason of her charm while she wins the admiration of Mexican officials and foreign ambassadors by her intellect. Even those who do not like the Soviet idea, and that takes in nine out of every ten men she meets— admit that the Bolshevist in skirts is a formidable opponent and a potent ally. They say she is the ablest Russian of them all and quite the best man that the Soviet has yet produced. Now in middle age, Madame Kolontai threw herself into the Russian revolutionary movement back in 1895. In 1903, she finished her first sociological work, The Labor Question in Finland, and she has been turning out brilliant essays on social questions ever since. Just recently, she turned her attention to lighter literature and wrote Red Love, a rank and painfully sincere work advancing some new ideas about marriage. In 1900, she was accused of anti-monarchism in activities and fled to Germany. Between 1908 and 1917, she lived in exile, mostly in England and America. In the latter year, she returned to join the Soviet. And when victory perched upon the banners of Trotsky and Lenin, she held various important posts— ultimately being assigned to the Red Diplomatic Corps. For a time, she represented her country in Norway, and while there achieved several commercial treaties that were highly favorable to her government. In Russia, Madame Kolontai is best remembered for her revolutionary activity and her social reform work. As Minister of Public Welfare in Lenin's cabinet, she caused a dozen monasteries to be seized and turned into hospitals for the wounded soldiery, orphanages for the deserted little ones, and maternity houses for the women of the poor. She worked for the establishment of a special women's department to organize and educate the peasant women. All the time, she wrote and wrought and talked for the Soviet. And when it comes to talking, the gifted Russian has an advantage over most people, for she can converse fluently in English, French, German, Italian, Spanish, Swedish, Norwegian, Portuguese, Finnish, Hungarian, 
Polish, and her native tongue. In addition, she has more than a smattering of Arabic, Turkish, and Japanese. When the fair and capable Alexandra was first appointed ambassador to Norway, there was some polite lifting of eyebrows in that most conservative of courts. A woman ambassador and an agent of the Soviets? How would she behave? Would she spout Bolshevist propaganda with the soup and rave about class struggle and free love with the meat? Madame Kolontai speedily allayed such fears, and within a month, the foreign diplomats in the Norwegian capital were spending their time trying to find out what she was going to put over on them next. Incidentally, she made her appearance at diplomatic functions dressed as richly as the princess of the old Romanov regime. She wore diamonds to match her brilliant mind, and she charmed even while she intrigued, quite like the heroine of an Oppenheim romance. Then, as now, Madame Kollontai preached in favor of a saner relation between men and women. Quote, Love is a wonderful thing, she said, but not the old chivalrous love of the wonderful male for the charming but idiotically dependent female. Reasonable self-adornment is a right, but the woman who spends half her husband's income to beautify herself and make herself acceptable in his eyes, or the eyes of another man, is a parasite and no credit to her sex. We do not seek to do away with love, whether it be natural or romantic love. We couldn't, but we are trying to teach the women to make themselves worthy of the companionship of men by working for the common good and finding new avenues of social reform. The life of a woman who exists to be flattered, flirted with, or courted is a degrading life as we see it. She is very little different from the harem favorite, though she wear the wedding ring and have a husband instead of a master, unquote. Now, these are pretty radical words, by the way, in 1927. She's essentially saying in the Washington Post that married women who live to serve and look beautiful for their husbands are essentially just like concubines. All right, back to the article. Now that she is a novelist, the lady from Moscow has still another part to play upon the stage of life and is finding it too, presents its own special problems. For instance, they are saying that red love is as torrid and lurid as its title and that it will be suppressed by the censors of most communities. But she refuses to discuss the book, save in her capacity as a literary woman, and she assumes that character only in the privacy of her studio, and nobody gets into the studio but her most trusted friends. To a person who recently interviewed her in Mexico City, Madame Kollontai gave a brief and vivid picture of her revolutionary and social reform crusading in the years when she was not so highly placed as she is now. Quote, During the years that I was a political exile, she said, I continually wrote articles and made speeches against the Tsarist crowd and got to know all the future leaders, including Lenin and Trotsky. 
When the World War broke, I was in trouble directly for my pacifist activities. I was arrested in Germany and told to leave the country. I fled to Scandinavia. I continued my pacifist propaganda there, wrote for newspapers, was correspondent for Trotsky's publications. In the autumn of 1915, I sailed for New York, where I delivered speeches against the war. I toured for five months. I spoke in every big city between the two coasts. I remained in close touch with those planning the Soviet Revolution. In 1916, I returned to Europe to live in England. And in 1917, when the revolution showed red above the horizon, I went at once to Russia to be in the thick of it. In July of that year, Kerensky's government jailed me for preaching dissatisfaction with the kind of rule he stood for. But I was released a few weeks later and had the satisfaction of helping to overthrow his regime of compromise and half measures on November 7th. Then I was appointed Minister of Public Welfare, and you know the rest, unquote. To understand the Russian's success as a diplomatic agent, one needs only to know that she has visited most countries as a private citizen and read the significant sociological and political books of the great countries of the world in the original. She knows what she is talking about, whatever tongue she speaks in. In connection with her linguistic gifts, it is remembered that when a group of Orientals visited Moscow a few years ago to study the Soviet at first hand, the Turks, Japanese, and Arabs had some little difficulty finding an interpreter. I speak a little of each, she told them, and she proceeded to translate their long and stilted speeches of amity into the language of Lenin. All right. So that's this article from 1927. And I wish you could actually see it. There is a picture of her. Uh, and it's a, it's a very nice photograph of her. And then in the background next to her, there is a photo of one of the abandoned Russian monasteries, which Madame Kollontai transformed into libraries and hospitals. So you know, on some level, I think this article is meant to shock its readers. Like, what is the world coming to? From our vantage point in 2024, obviously, we think, wow, she spoke all these languages. She's talking about free love. She's talking about women's emancipation. She's able to do this job. She travels all over the world. She's been in and out of jail. This woman is like the real deal. But I can imagine that in 1927, for readers of the Washington Post, this must have just been the most horrifying article to read about this woman uh, who was, you know, this self-proclaimed communist talking about things like free love. She's also an essayist and a novelist and a diplomat. And, you know, I I can't even begin. I wish uh, I could find some, you know, readers' reactions from 1927 to this article because it would be really interesting to think about how she was being perceived in the West at that time. Now, we also know that there were a lot of machinations against her in Mexico. She eventually has to leave because presumably the story goes that her heart at the high altitude in Mexico City, her heart troubles were acting up. And so she she eventually, as I'm sure you know, goes 
becomes a diplomat in Sweden for quite a long time. But you have to remember, especially, that on her way from the Soviet Union to Mexico City, the American government would not allow her to disembark in New York off the boat because they considered her a threat to public safety. And later, when she uh, landed in Cuba, they also wouldn't let her disembark because she was unaccompanied. She didn't have a husband with her. So this article, which again, you know, when you read it from our perspective, makes it sound like she's like really a boss. In fact, what they're saying is she's just kind of a weird freak of nature as far as they're concerned. And more importantly, that Bolsheviks are really dangerous, that they have this sort of secret weapon, you know, the versatile Madame Kolontai. There's something a little nefarious about her sort of in, in that text, the fact that she's taking over monasteries and the fact that she was, you know, in cahoots with Lenin and Trotsky from the beginning and she's in jail and she's speaking out uh, against the war and, you know, she's she's a woman who does not know her place. And yet at the same time, they're absolutely fascinated with her because of her clothing and the, her style and, you know, the way she presents herself. She's obviously a very regal woman. And they have a hard time kind of reconciling the image that they have of Bolsheviks and the image that they have of Soviet Russia with this woman, Madame Kolontai. And also, I think it's probably worth just mentioning that, you know, this article would calls her by her first name. Uh, and, you know, if the Washington Post was writing an article about a male diplomat, they would never use the first name. So there's also something about this that is kind of diminishing her because she's a woman um, or trying to make her seem less threatening somehow. Anyway, that's it for this episode. Uh, as you know, International Women's Day is coming up on March 8th. Maybe you don't know, but now you do. It's one of my absolutely favorite holidays. And I'm hoping to do a little bit of media around that. Hopefully I'll be on a couple podcasts and, and I'm writing a few little things. But if there is a special woman in your life, maybe a partner, sister, mother, you know, whatever constellation of relations you might have in your life that you might, might want to celebrate for International Women's Day, at least as of the recording of this podcast. The hardback version of Everyday Utopia is currently on sale on Amazon.com for 15 bucks, which is really cheap. It's actually cheaper than my own author's discount. It's a, it's a pretty good deal. I don't know why it's on sale, but whatever the algorithm decides is what is real. I don't usually like sending money to Bezos in any way, but in this case, if you are looking for a fun International Women's Day present, the Everyday Utopia book might be something that the women in your life would enjoy, especially since I talk a lot about dismantling patriarchy and its constituent components of patrilocality and patrilineality. And there's a good chunk of the book that's also about Kalantai. That's my little plug. You know, Amazon.com, 15 bucks if you're looking for something fun to give for International Women's Day. Thank you as always so much for listening and keep up the good fight. Mm -hmm.